All right, let's go to now. Oh, my voice is going now. Uh, Philippians, <laughs> Philippians chapter number uh, four. And we might have to tag team. <clears throat> All right, Philippians chapter number four tonight. And it's a privilege to be able to stand and preach. And, and uh, the Lord gave me something this afternoon. So the text came in that uh, Brother Roger needed someone to step up. And, and I went to prayer and to looking things over. And the Lord gave me something fresh and new. So I hope it will be a blessing to you. Tonight, Philippians chapter number 4, and I want to pick up in verse number 10 and read down to verse number 14. And we're going to flip to a few passages tonight, but let's work through this first. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Father, Help me tonight to be able to communicate what I believe you put into my heart today for them. And we all need to be filled with your spirit. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to learn, to grow, to be comforted, to be strengthened, to be confronted where we may be lacking. And that you'd help us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, this book uh, written to the Philippian church from prison... And uh, it's the book of praise, rejoicing, uh, rejoicing even in spite of your circumstances. And these, of course, are the closing thoughts of Paul. And I want to point out a few things as we build up to the passage that we just read. Uh, it's closing thoughts to an excellent church. And really, there's very little mentioned within this epistle that has anything to do with a negative, uh, a, a negative setting within the church. And really... Much of what's said there, even in that sense, is like, now listen, you and you, can you just go ahead and get along and serve the Lord together? And that's about it, okay? So it's a very good church. And he writes this in verse number one. I want you to notice that he tells him to stand fast in the Lord. And I'm going to whiz right through this because I want to get to something else. But he's telling them to stand fast in the Lord. In verse number two, he speaks to them about being of the same mind in the Lord, which is what I was just referring to. In verse number 3, he tells them to help those who are serving the Lord and to be a help to them. In verse number 4, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. Verse number 5, he tells them to live in the presence of the Lord. And if you don't understand that verse, I hope that helps you, where verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. That's not so much referring to the fact that the, uh, the coming of the Lord is at hand, although it is. But rather, it's dealing with the fact that he's present with us. And we need to live in the presence of the Lord. Verses number 6 and 7, he speaks to them there about having a heart and a mind that's preserved by the Lord. That the peace of God would keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In verse number 8, then, he tells them to think on the things of the Lord. And he tells them how to think. I think that's one of the greatest verses in the Word of God. I tell people all the time, you need to get a notebook, and you need, to, you need to get a section that at the top you write things that are true, and then you need to start keeping a journal of things that are true, and God through time will start to show you things that are true, and I do that with every section, whatsoever things are on us, and so forth. He tells them how to think on the things of the Lord. In verse number 9 then, which is now going to get us back to where we started, He says in verse 9, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Here he tells them to follow my example in the Lord. Now that's Paul. And by the way, that's Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Saying, follow my example in the Lord. So what's his example? Well, he tells us what his example was in verses 10 to 14, at least one aspect of that example. Now, this is only one part of the example that Paul set. But in this book, this is what he, and again, I want to say the Holy Spirit, wanted them to understand. 
And what is that? Well, he wanted them to he wanted to praise them first of all for the care that they had shown toward him in giving and meeting a need that he had. But more importantly, what he wanted them to understand is his contentment. And that was really what struck me this afternoon is this idea of being content and the contentment that God will give us in our lives. But there are certain conditions to that. But he was saying, if I can summarize verses 10 to 14, he said, I'm content with the will of God in my life. And you met a need and I'm content with that. But before you met that need, Philippian church, I was still content. And that's the way he was living his life. And he said there in verse number 10, he said, man, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. You see that there? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? That now, and he talks about again, I'll summarize, your care for me. Your care for me. He was contented and he's rejoicing in the Lord because their care had flourished for him. Um, you know, he was... He was Looking back at time and time again, because he uses that word again, he was saying, boy, Philippian church, this isn't the first time you've done it, or maybe even the second or the third or the fourth, and we have no idea how many times this church reached out to him in a time of need. And just being sensitive to the leadership of the Spirit of God, saying we need to do something for Brother Paul, and sending it by someone's hand and caring for him, and, and that showing up, and how refreshing that is. You've had that happen. How refreshing it is when you know that came from the hand of God via the hand of someone in the church or another believer or so forth. And he said, man, your care for me has flourished again, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly because of that. And then he also recognizes in the, in the last part there, verse number 10, he says, I'm also rejoicing in the Lord greatly because uh, I know that you wanted to do this before this time, but you just didn't have opportunity to do it. And he's recognizing the mindfulness that they had for him. Now he says in verse number 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. So his rejoicing wasn't so much over the fact that they met his need. And this, I really want you to, you're going to have to stay with me tonight, okay? It wasn't, he wasn't just saying, boy, I am just so filled with joy because a need's been met. That was a source of rejoicing, but that wasn't primarily what he was referring to. And if we're not careful, we'll have discontentment in our lives and it will center completely around when we think we have a need and when God meets that. So it becomes conditional. When God does what I think I need in my life, I'm content and happy and joyful. And if he doesn't do what I think I need in my life, I'm not content and I'm not happy and I'm not joyful. And that will create a very bitter Christian and discontented Christian because God doesn't operate on our timing. You mentioned timing this morning. He doesn't operate on our timing. Now, the need had been fulfilled, and that was wonderful. But he declares to him in verse number 11, look at this, not that I speak in respect of one. He is again saying, my joy isn't based on the fact that the need that I had was fulfilled. For, because, for this purpose is that word, for I have learned. He learned some things. Well, what did he learn? He tells us in verse number 11, he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So let's look at this next verse and the subject matter of his contentment. I mean, in other words, what is it that, uh, uh, that he's able to be contented in? Well, first of all, he says in verse number 12, he says, I've learned this now. I know both how to be abased. I know how to have everything taken away from me and to be degraded and to become a man of low estate. And it's not just financially, although many times and materially, many times, that's what we're talking about. And he is referring to that here, but it was more than that. He had been degraded even in his reputation. And for the amount of knowledge that the Apostle Paul had and the way the world treated him, it's, it's disgraceful. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who, was, who was, was and still is recognized as one of the greatest teachers that Israel ever had. And he said, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and I learned at his feet. He was no dummy. And he knew a lot, and he understood a lot. A Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and so on and so on. 
And by every standard, if you looked at him, you'd think, man, this guy has got it together. And he's sharp, and he deserves respect and honor. And that, he was given that occasionally. Generally, he was treated like the off-scouring the earth. He said so. He says, it's okay, I'm content with that. I've learned to be abased. And he says, well, I've also learned how to abound. I've learned how to flourish. And then he says again in verse number 12, I've, I know how to be abased and how I know how to abound. Now watch this, he clarifies. Everywhere. We're just breaking this down now, word by word, phrase by phrase. Everywhere. You realize he's saying that in prison. So I'm, I'm content. But you're in prison. I know, but I'm content. And I'm joyful. I know the theme of the book. But I'm content with that. And we go clear back to chapter number one. Why, where was there contentment there? Well, because the gospel was being preached. So there were people in Caesar's household who had heard the gospel because he had been put into prison. And so rather than looking at it as, man, all these things are against me and sucking his thumb and curling up in a corner like a big crybaby, rather he went forward with it and he said, all right, this is what God's put in my life. I'm being abased at the moment. I'm everywhere. I'm in prison right now. It's not the place I'd like to be, but it is the place God's allowed me to be, and I'm going to be content. And he says, in all things, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. And this is every circumstance of life, everything that he encountered in his life. He said, I'm content with that, be it good or be it bad. Now watch, I am instructed, verse number 12, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I'm instructed to be. Well, who in the world instructed him in that? Well, I'd say the Lord Jesus Christ, but probably more specifically, more intimately, if you will, the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, it's almost a minor confession there that Paul would say, I wasn't always like this. I'm like this now, but I wasn't always like this. And there was a time where I wasn't content. There was a time when I didn't like where I was or how things were unfolding. But I've been instructed. I've been told what have you been told? Both to be full. Paul, right now I want you to be full. I want you to have everything you need. And I want you, Paul, now listen, I want you, Paul, to have everything you need without pride and self-satisfaction as though you're the master of your life. Well, look how good I'm doing compared to so-and-so. Uh, you know, clearly I've got it together and so-and-so doesn't. God says, no, that's not contentment. Contentment has an ease and a peace of mind and heart. And we recognize in contentment that if we're full, that was God. And he he was instructed to be that way. I learned it, he said. So don't be full of pride and self-satisfaction. But then the flip side of that is, I've also been instructed to be hungry. What's the problem there? That one's the easy one. We understand that because we get discontented. And we get self-pity as though we're deprived of God. Why do they have and I don't? Why is their life easy and mine's not? Why do they get and I don't? And there's just it's self-pity. God, why are you treating me this way? Have you ever been there? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Where you just pity self, you know, it's poor me, poor me, poor me. Clearly God doesn't love me as much as he loves all the people around me because look what's going on in my life and none of the brethren are suffering that way when the reality is, folks, many times if we just found out what was going on in other people's lives, we'd know that they're going through the same thing you and I are going through. They just haven't said anything about it. He said, Paul, I'm instructing you sometimes to be hungry. That's a good thing for you. Be content in it. To, uh, to abound, to have plenty, and to suffer need. That was a, that's an interesting phrase right there, to suffer need. Because I could say, well, he was saying that God told him to be content when he didn't have what he believed he needed. But that's not what he said. He said, I have need, and it's not being fulfilled. So be content anyway. 
I have a need. It's not being met. Be content anyway. That's hard. That's a very difficult place to live. But that's what he learned because he was instructed to learn it. His ability to live this way didn't rest because he had a lot of self-discipline in his life. And it wasn't found because he was a better man than you and I are. I speak of men and women. That's not where it was. He tells us how he got there in verse number 13. I can do all things through Christ, which, not who. Now, new versions of the Bible put who there, but that's not what he's talking. He's not, yes, Christ gives strength. That's a fact. But that's not what the verse is saying. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Those things, those hungerings, those aboundings, those abasings, those being foals, those are the things which God uses to strengthen me. And that's how I can do that. And that's what he's given testimony to. I want to talk then about the contentment of Paul, and I want to There's several things I want to give to you today, as much as you can find in one afternoon of study. What I appreciate about the statement in chapter 4, verse 11, if you go back to verse number, uh, chapter number 1 and verse number 6, these are the, I call these the bookends of the book of Philippians. These are the bookends. Because he begins the book by instructing us this way. And when I say instructing, I'm saying that in the sense that he's, although he's making a declarative statement here, it's a lesson for you and I to learn. Verse 6, being confident. There's confidence to begin this book. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's a confidence at the beginning of the book, but the end of the book, in chapter 4, verse 11, the other bookend is contentment. The confidence comes in the work that God performs in the life of the believer. I know that whatever lies ahead of me is for my good. The contentment is looking back and recognizing that all the things as difficult as they were, were for my good. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The book ends of Philippians. Again, I want to keep reiterating this, that his contentment was learned. The Lord had to take Paul through some difficult and pleasant places. He said everywhere. Well, everywhere he went wasn't difficult. Sometimes there were some pleasant places to be. There were times that Paul would have had enjoyment in life, and God was taking him there as a a matter of learning and teaching, instructing on contentment. But you and I both know that most of our learning of things like contentment come from the fact that we have to go through troubling times. But he said, everywhere, I've learned to be content. The Lord had to take him through pleasant and difficult places, and he had to take him through some pleasant and difficult times in order to learn his contentment. And he says, in whatsoever state, in whatever state, whatever condition that I am, I'm content. Have you learned that yet? He's, uh, by the way, that word therewith, again, very interesting. And that's one of my things I just enjoy very much, is looking at the definition of words and then recognizing how that impacts the understanding of the passage. Therewith, with this or with that. That's what that means, with this or that. And that's what life is all about, if you really think about it. It's this and that in our life. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, but that's what our life is consisting of. James said that, by the way. He said, well, whatever it is, I'm content. If it's this prosperity, that's contenting. Thank you, Lord. If it's this hunger, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm content. That's fine. If it's me abounding, great. If it's me being a base, no problem. I'm content with that. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength to do that. Hmm. It's as though the the Apostle Paul was saying this, and you're going to have to forgive me for always being note-bound, but 
It's as though he said, firstly, uh, when, I have, when, when I have a great deal in my possession, I'm content because the possessions don't have the mastery over me. And when I have very little in my possession, I'm content because those things don't have the mastery over me. I don't feel cheated if things are taken from me. Brethren, I'd say this, that our contentment is found in the place God has put us and in the things that He has given us or kept from us because we know it's from Him. The placement is from Him. The giving is from Him. The taking away is from Him. The moving is from Him. We don't have control over that. It's the, it's the illustration of the children of Israel and the Shekinah glory of God. And there they wait until the glory moves. And when it moves, they pack up and they move on. And in the meantime, they wait. And they've got to be contented with the waiting time. And when God gave them manna, they had to learn that that was a gift from God. And they grew so weary of it, they complained. And God said, okay. And he sent them the fowls. You remember that? So it was coming out their nose. You know what they learned? Should have been content with the manna. A lot of people died in that plague. But brethren, I'm telling you, you and I have to learn this. Nobody here is naturally just a content individual. And the reason I know that is because all of us have been given to murmuring and complaining on occasion in our lives. What is it, discontentment? And I'm also saying, brethren, that the Holy Spirit is instructing us to be that way. If I could stand in the place of the Lord Jesus tonight and say, brethren, be content. Wherever God has placed you, you be content with that. If God is preparing to move you, be content with that. In the things that I've given to you, you be content. In the things that I'm taking away, you be content. I'm instructing you to be that way. Easier said than done. It's easy when you're standing in a pulpit saying it. It's different when you're having to live it, isn't it? Well, again, this idea of contentment has to do with being quiet and not disturbed or having a mind that's at peace. It is to make something or someone so quiet that the complaint is stopping. This is definition by dictionary. It's to be at ease and have peace of mind. Now, we can carry ourselves outwardly like we got it all together, but we can have on the inward part of us a mind and a heart and a spirit that is stirred and is agitated and irritated and wants something different, and it can be striving quietly on the inside to get something different, and God says, why don't you just be content? Be at peace. Let's look at some wrong kinds of contentment. Everybody okay tonight? Let's look at, so I'm going to give you three examples of the wrong kind of content, or making someone content. Mark chapter number 15. These are the wrong kinds of contentment, or if you will, making someone content. Mark chapter number 15. In Mark chapter number 15, the Lord's on trial. The Jewish leaders have agitated the crowd to such a degree that they're trying to get the Lord crucified and they're, 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 they're stirring the crowd up, trying to get what they want. And by the way, the Lord knew what they were up to. He gave them the parable and he said, uh, in, in essence, in the parable, he said that you, you've killed and flogged the, the servants that the head, the, the master sent. And then he's going to send his son, and you're going to kill him, and it's because you want to try to take the kingdom. You want to try to take the vineyard from him. You want to be the lord of the, of the vineyard. And, he, and he, the Bible says that the Pharisees knew that, that he had spoken this of them. They're, guys, I don't know if you understand the ramifications of that parable, but he's saying they were trying to take the kingdom from God and be lords over the kingdom of God. That's what they wanted. 
And so they were more than happy whatever it took to do that because they knew in their hearts they were dealing with the Son that had been sent on behalf of the Father to take possession of the kingdom. And there they are now. They've got the whole crowd agitated and they're stirring them up and they're crying in verse 14 to crucify him, crucify him. And verse number 15, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. You know the wrong kind of contentment that you can offer to people is to try to content or calm wicked people. Ungodly people. And the reason that's the wrong kind is because they're never content. It doesn't matter what you give them. They're going to find something else and they're going to whinge about that too and they're going to want more. They're never contented. We should never try to content wicked people with wicked intentions. Then go over to Joshua chapter number 7. Now in Joshua chapter number 7, Israel has crossed over Jordan and they've already defeated Jericho. And now, they're, remember, Achan stole uh, those items from Jericho and now they're under the curse. And so they go out to fight Ai and Ai, this little tiny place, whips them good. And uh, when they got whipped by such a little place, Joshua was just upset and, and sucking his thumb. And... Uh, Verse number 7 of Joshua number 7, and Joshua said this, he said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Does that sound like a contented person to you? Now as soon as it turned, his, it turned against him, now he throws it all away. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Another wrong kind of contentment is disguising disobedience with contentment. Because he's saying, you know, if we'd have just stayed over on the other side of Jordan with the two and a half tribes that took their possession there, we could have just been happy over there, been at rest, been at peace, wouldn't have had to face this at all. Boy, I really wish we'd have just been content over there. No, you'd have been disobedient over there. You were told to go over and take the property, take the land that had been given to you, And now it's not going the way you thought. It's out of sin. You don't even know what you're complaining about, Joshua. That's a bad way to look for contentment, to veil it with disobedience. Or excuse me, to to veil disobedience with your contentment. Well, I'd be content if I didn't have to do such and such. Listen, everywhere and in all things, we're instructed. That's what he said. The third type of, uh, of bad or wrong kind of contentment is found in Judges chapter number 17. Judges chapter number 17. Now remember, uh, during the time of the Judges, the Bible says there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so they're just living by what we call anarchy. If it looks good to me, and I feel good about it, and uh, I feel like I'm not hurting anybody or not excessively, then it must be okay. That's a terribly pragmatic way to live. It's a sinfully pragmatic way to live. As long as it suits me, it's okay. It works for me. You can get over it. Judges chapter number 17, and... uh, to, to, to build the, the scene, if I can't... Well, let's go to verse number 7. How about that? Judges seventeen seven, And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. This guy... When you read that already, you should be going, this guy's got a problem. The Levites... God had already ordained what they were supposed to do and who they're supposed to do it for. And this guy's wandering. He's looking for a place. Young people, please listen to me. Don't wander around looking for a place. You'll find one. But that doesn't make it the will of God, no matter how happy you might think you are there. He went looking for a place. Verse number 10, And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, 
and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. So you understand now, he's just been basically, I don't even want to say bribed. He's been bought off. If you stay with me, I'm going to take care of you. I'll give you food. I'll give you money and I'll give you clothes. Give you a place to live. You'll have a job here. Verse number 11. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. One more verse. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. You see what that Levite did? He wandered out of the way. He's not doing what God had instructed him to do. He had the the first five books of Moses, he knew what he'd been instructed to do. He's not doing it. So he goes wandering around looking for a place. He found one where he could be bought off. And when he got bought off, he was content. And that's the third thing that you should be careful about, your contentment, is when carnality or fleshly desire are what settle you instead of the will of God. Now I'm telling you, any one of us is perfectly able to do this, to wander out of the way, and to have a comfort of life, savvous enough to dumb down our conscience and our sensitivity to God and make us think we're doing the right thing because life's going pretty good. That's a bad way to be content. Now, I'm going to just real quickly list some things off and I want to get to I want to get to the positive aspect, but what are some? This is what I found: some sources of discontentment, and this will be just fodder for your own study, and, and you follow on for yourself. But the sources of discontentment: envy, envy, and one of the definitions of envy is to feel a sense of discontentment. Envy will do it. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. Envy will make you discontented. Secondly, covetousness, which is related really to envy, but covetousness. This inordinate desire to possess something. The Bible tells us, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, so we'll keep moving. The third thing that I found that can make us discontent is being filled with care. Care or carefulness, being filled with care. We read that in Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Carefulness can take away your contentment. You're filled with uh, worry. You're filled with trouble. You're filled with what's coming down the pike. And you're just not content. You can be filled with care. And then I'd say fourthly, and this would just... I mean, one of many, but just the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown can take away your contentment. And what's God have for me next? Where is he leading me next? What's the next step going to take? What's this going to mean? Am I going to lose now or am I going to abound now? You understand? And that takes away our contentment. But let's get to something more positive. I want to, if you would, maybe write a few things down if you like. I want to look at some lessons from the scriptures regarding contentment. Now, the first one, I've already beaten it several times, so I'm just going to tell you. Philippians 4.11, contentment is learned. You're going to learn it. Some of you are very content in your life, where you are and what you have. But you had to learn to be there. But I'm telling you, you're going to keep learning that. Uh, It may be, as we mentioned this morning in the service, that that our economy could tank overnight. And we'll lose much of what we've enjoyed all our lives that we thought was just natural for us to have. And God will show us what the other 90% of the world has lived like forever. We won't have those things. And that's when we're going to really find out who's content. i got to tell you a funny story. A friend of mine was telling me about another person that they had visited. 
They had a compound where they had food stored up and they had firearms and they had ammunition and he was telling me all about it. And I said, what's that for? And they said, well, in case everything goes pear-shaped, you know, we're ready, we got food and we're going to be able to protect ourselves. And I said, well, what happens when people find out that they've got that and they come and, you know, they want to get in on it. They want, they're hungry too. They want to feed their family too. And and you have it. What's going to happen? They say they're going to shoot them. I said, well, that sounds really Christ-like. Yeah. We'll preach the gospel to them for now, but if they come and try to take my food, I'm going to shoot them and put them in hell. That's weird to me. Man. That's not very content. That's just a funny story. That came out of nowhere. Everybody's looking at me like, where are you going with that, Brother Kevin? (laughs) It's not very content. All right. Uh, Would you turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter number 2? Now, we're just looking at lessons that we learn in the Scriptures. I'm not going to be long with these. About contentment. Exodus chapter number 2. Verse number 16. All right, Exodus chapter 2. Now remember, Moses has fled Egypt. Uh, He's helped these ladies out with their sheep, their flocks. Verse 16, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came in, Ruel, their father, to Ruel, their father, he said, How is the year come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flocks. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Now, there's a lot that transpires between verse number 20 and 21, but they, he evidently comes to him. And they have a meal together, and there's enough time for them to discuss some things. And verse 21 tells us, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. I want to learn a lesson from this on contentment. Contentment can be the training ground for God's next work in your life. And you have to analyze Moses' place right there in Exodus chapter 2. He's just ran from being, I'm about to say an Australian thing, 2IC, second in charge. He's just ran from being second in charge in Egypt. He wanted to lead the children of Israel out, and he was quite capable as a military man and as a leader, but not as God's man, as a shepherd. And God put him here in the desert with Ruel tending sheep, for 40 years, to teach him to be a shepherd to his flock of Israel. And it was the contentment of Moses in this instance that became the training ground for him in the next thing God wanted him to do in his life. And imagine had he gotten discontented. He actually got a little too comfortable in that, didn't he? Because when God called him, he said, you got the wrong dude. But the fact that he would be content where he was at that time, and that was the will of God for him to be out there, to be retrained under different circumstances. If he'd have gotten discontented with that and ran off, he would have missed out on what God was training him for. So be content and learn what God's teaching you. He's learning you. What am I, froghorn and leghorn? Be content with what God is teaching you. Third lesson, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're just going to go very briefly here, I know you know this one, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, dealing with wealth here, but it deals with it in the context of serving unjust masters, how you're treated, how you feel you're treated or should be treated. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6 
See, there's a doctrine that was present way back in the beginning of the church, and it was that if you gain a lot, you're a real godly person. That's your evidence of godliness. How much do you have? And Paul just said, that's nonsense. Verse number 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He said it's just the opposite. The Christ-likeness, the manifestation of Christ, which is what godliness is, the manifestation of Christ in us, that's great gain. And when you have Christ being manifest in you and you're contented with that and you're not making a fortune or you're not proceeding in life like you think you ought to, he says, hey man, you're gaining more than you know. You're not advancing in your career. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. Don't worry about it. Is Christ being shown in you? You're gaining a whole lot more than you ever anticipated. You read on in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be therewith content. Boy, I don't know about you, and I've, I've thought about that. I have stumbled over that verse many, many times. God, I do not know if I would be content if all I had was food and clothing. But that's what he told him. As long as you got godliness, you got Christ, some, something to eat, something to put on your body, you should be at peace of mind. Well, I stand before you tonight to tell you that would be very difficult for this man. <laughs> but godliness with contentment is great gain. Fourth lesson. Hebrews 13.5, we've already made mention of it. I feel like I'm teaching a class more than anything tonight, but that's all right. Hebrews chapter 13. But I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. And this message came about because I was trying to go where we're going to end. I was trying to start with where we finish. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 and 6. Again, watch the context. And, and these are such common verses that sometimes we really lose what's being said. So think about it very carefully with me. Verse number 5, Hebrews 13. Let your conversation, the way you live your life... When we have a conversation, there's something being communicated. And that's what the word means in its purest form in your Bible. Uh, the way you speak, the way you live, uh, that is communicating something. And it's called your conversation. It's how you live your life. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For, because, he has said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The fourth lesson on contentment is that the presence of the Lord will make you content if you'll let it. But if you're striving constantly to have more, you're not going to be content. God said, Just satisfy, rest your mind, be at peace. With what I've given you, and know that I'm with you. And then you can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Isn't that good? Such common verses, but we can pass over them. All right, this is where I really wanted to go. Now, are you ready? 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel 21. And as soon as you get 1 Samuel 21, go to Psalm 34. So hold 1 Samuel 21, go to Psalm 34. All right, I've given you four lessons that you probably already knew about contentment. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've never considered this one, okay? But if you've already thought of this, then I'm just putting you in remembrance of something. Okay. 1 Samuel 21 begins David's seemingly endless flight from Saul. Saul is so jealous of him. He's already tried to kill him. But now David finally takes flight, and he's not going back. He's, he's gone and come back, and he's gone and come back. But this time he said, there's no way I can go back. And he's on the run. And while he's on the run, he remember he went to the priest there, and he, 
He got Goliath's sword and he got bread for his men. And they ate and off they go. And so he takes a journey. And I want you to see verse number 10. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Let me, let me talk to you while we read this, okay? Does this sound like he has peace of mind and rest in his spirit? Not at all. Not at all. He's restless and he's frightened and he's on the run and he's not sure in his mind right now whether God's actually going to get him to the throne or not. Now don't be too hard on him. He's just had a javelin thrown at him twice. And he's had his father-in-law, remember, try to put a contract out on him and manipulate his wife to turn him over so he can kill him. He's got good reason to be afraid. So I'm not being critical of him, but I know this. Contentment is not a word you'd describe about David right here. Okay? So he's fleeing now to a heathen country. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Which is interesting. Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Verse 1, chapter 22. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented. That's not the group you want to be hanging around <laughs> Here they come, discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. You say, what was he doing there, Psalm 34? Now, I don't know, I'm sure, I am sure you've been told this before, but let me say it again. There are certain psalms that have titles on them. Now, I'm not talking about the notes that your particular editor may have put in. But there are some psalms that have the same title. It's, a, it's part of Scripture. This is one of them. The title of this psalm is inspired by God. So look, before you get to verse 1, look at the title. A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. That's the same name as Achish. He's named Abimelech. He's also called Achish who drove him away and he departed. Now watch. Mad David scrabbling on the gate with the spittle running down his beard. This doesn't sound like him. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped and campeth round about him that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, he that, may, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil. And do good, seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. 
The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. That's not discontent of David. That's not fear-filled David. That's content David. Trusting David. Would you agree with that? What happened? He learned something. His attempt to try to salvage his own life, to try to fix the problem on his own, it amounted to nothing. But he said, God, everywhere and in all things, you've instructed me. And I want to learn contentment. I think that might be the, one of the greatest examples of contentment. And here's my last point, the last thing I want you to learn. Contentment is a form of praise and thanksgiving. And we rob God of praise and thanksgiving when we live with discontentment. What a wonderful psalm that was penned because he learned. He had a change. Brethren, I don't know what's going on in your life, and maybe, you know, maybe there's one or two or just a few of us that have some discontentment, but I'm telling you, You're robbing God of his praise and his glory and his thanksgiving when you're discontented with what he's doing in your life. If you'll just stop and recognize that he's at work and that he is, you're learning something and he's instructing you in something and you can start turning your gaze toward him and you can start telling him how wonderful he is and how much protection he gives you. You can start testifying to people how good God is in your life. He gets the glory he deserves. And I do not want to be one guilty of robbing him of the praise that he deserves. I want him to get it. All right. Then, Father, I pray that uh, these few words spoken tonight would be a great help to your people. And I pray, God, that maybe tonight somebody is dealing with that matter of discontentment, that you'd help to settle their heart, give them the peace that you've promised, the peace that passes understanding. And Lord, if nothing else, maybe this is just something that people need to take with them. And sometime down the track, you'll just bring to remembrance a thing here about being content that will help them. Whatever it may be, Lord, may you get all the praise and honor and glory and blessing that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen.